blessing to see everyone on this the first day of the year and a blessed new year to you all. It's an encouragement that people would come together in the place of grace um, to start the year um, in the sound of God's word. And so um, may it be a mark of not just our beginning, but are continuing throughout the year. Amen? <sighs> First message of the year. <laughs> Marshall, what are you saying, my brother? It's good to see you, man. I, I can't start naming everyone. I'm going <laughs> to... That will be half the message. But it's good to see everyone. And... um. Many would say it's good to see the back of 2016. So if you are someone who engages with social media, you will have seen all the, the memes and the, the quotes and so on. Um, on one hand, you know, 2016 has been a nightmare of a year. It's been a horrible year. It's been a terrible year. Um, it seems somehow that's connected with how many celebrities have died in 2016. Um, that seems to be quite bound up in the whole kind of sense that 2016 was a terrible year. So there was Brexit, for those who weren't happy about that. There was Trump, for those who weren't happy about that. But then in, addi in addition, um, Prince died, and a, a number of other celebrities died throughout the course of the year. And so it just it, it seems that people have real got a, a real negative view as they look back on 2016. Um, I've seen those memes of, you know, people, good riddance to 2016, I'm dancing into 2017. This is how I'm going into the new year. And, and Lester won. You know, I can't even begin to comment on that. <laughs> I can't even begin to comment on that. But we're transitioning from one year to the next. And on one hand, it is uh, just another day. And yet, on the other hand, it's a, it's a milestone. It's a memorial. It's a means by which we're able to lay a marker to that which has been, which has passed on our journey, and able to look forward to that which is ahead. And on a personal level, you may have your own um, feelings about 2016 and for many it has definitely felt as though there has been a sense of um, just feeling like 2016 has dissed them now I use that term intentionally so I think it was probably what more of a kind of 90s term um, College days, leaving school, college days for me at least anyway, showing my age. And, you know, if somebody was to speak ill of you or to speak against you, you kind of brace yourself and say, you're trying to diss me. And that was just a, an abbreviation of the suffix, that the, the prefix that is put before words to kind of convey a sense of negativity. And so when I say you may feel like 2016 has dissed you, you might feel as though 2016 has left you disappointed, disillusioned, disheartened, discouraged, diseased, emotionally or even physically. And in view of that, you may be kind of feeling, on one hand, you're glad to see the back of 2016, but also on the other hand, feeling a little bit kind of cagey about what 2017 might hold for you. I want to encourage you that you can head into 2017 in such a way that 2017 won't necessarily diss you in the way that 2016 may have done. There is a sense in which the scripture speaks of a way in which we can future-proof 
our faith. We can future-proof our faith, but it might not be in the way that you consider or you think about. Now, I've got one verse primarily that I'm going to speak on today. And the church said, Amen. <laughs> My man said, what does that mean? Because he knows too well. One verse don't mean nothing. And it's not even a verse that I can really take out of context because it's from Proverbs. And so, if you're familiar with the Proverbs, there are um, numerous sayings, catchy um, sayings that are just often just complete in themselves. And so, I want us to consider this. Proverbs 13, verse 12. Proverbs 13, verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today and we do so with open hearts and minds. Um, I don't imagine that we would be here in this place right now for this reason if that wasn't the case. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and minds and that you would help us as those that you have made, as those who are in relationship with you, having come to you through your Son, Lord, we recognize that we need you above all things. And as we head into 2017 and as we leave 2016 behind us, Lord, our desire is to, to have a sense of fulfillment, a sense of satisfaction, a sense of delight. But we can only find that in you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us of the means by which we are able to experience all that you have for us in 2017. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Um, another way of saying that might be failed expectations can lead to disappointment, can even lead to depression. Failed expectations can lead to disappointment, can even lead to de depression. But expectations fulfilled are a joy to the soul. You may have gone into 2016 with a whole load of expectations, some explicit and obvious, and others, more subconscious, more deep down. It's a bit like the child who, at Christmas, not knowing what present they were going to get, had great expectations. There was that hope for the Xbox or the... What's the, I don't even know these consoles. What the latest, latest like, the PS, P, X, Xbox One, PS4 now, yeah? Slim. Uh? And they open up to Monopoly. Now, certain people like Zainab will say, yes, praise God and amen, Monopoly Queen. But you can imagine that child who was looking forward to that PS4 or that Xbox One is not going to be rejoicing with both hands in the air at the sight of Monopoly. Or, or how many of you guys remember Operation? <laughs> you know about Operation? What kind of game is Operation? Steady hands, you know about operation. That's all you need to say. That is the whole point of the game. You've got to have a steady hand. And so you imagine the child's looking forward to a, a PS4 and opens up to a box of operation. Now, it's going to take them a minute, if they're well adjusted, to get over their disappointment, right? <laughs> 
It's going to take them a, a little time to kind of get over that failed expectation. And yet, we all approach life with expectations. So, I, I spoke a, a, a little while back and made mention of this thing that they're calling the, the quarter-life crisis. Not if, no, no. Not even half, not midlife, not half, quarter-life crisis. Everything seems to be accelerated and, and intensified these days. Quarter-life crisis. And so the whole idea of the quarter-life crisis is you have these 24, 25-year-olds who they've graduated and they just feel disillusioned and just lacking purpose. And I'm not even saying this in a disparaging way because I've seen it. I've seen it amongst those that I know that are of that age. Graduated, but maybe didn't get the grades that they had hoped for. Feel discouraged. Feel disjointed. Maybe they got the grades, but they didn't get the job that they hoped for. Oh, degree, we'll get you the job that you, but then you can't get a job and you feel. Maybe they got the job, but don't have the job satisfaction because it's not all that it was cracked up to be. Or maybe they've got the job satisfaction, but they're still single. Because by the time they were 24 or 25, they had it all mapped out, right? Going to be married, at least one child, and making progress in life. Maybe they're married, but they're unhappy in the marriage. It seems like there are endless reasons for the cause of this quarter-life crisis or this just general disillusionment that we can experience. Happy in the marriage, but children are a problem. Can't have them. Struggling to conceive. Have children, but they just don't give you no rest. Just give you problems. The reality is that with the expectations that we bring to the table, we can experience delight or despair. We can experience joy or despondency. And so the reality is that it's not the issues that we go through that need to be changed. It's the way we set our expectations. That's what needs to be changed. We see this in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read a few verses and not comment on them all. In Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 25, it says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So there's sufferings. This is speaking to those who are Christians. They're in Christ. They're people who know God, who have come into a relationship with the Heavenly Father, who have been forgiven by the blood of the Son and have been infused with the Spirit of God and yet encountering sufferings. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So there is a glory that is yet to be revealed. Sufferings now, glory to come. And what we experience now can't be compared to what is to come. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That pregnant Longing, that intent, that brooding, awaiting for the fulfillment of God's promise to his children. For the creation was subjected to futility. So all of creation was subjected to futility, to a sense of meaning, meaninglessness. And if you want to hear more about that, you can look at our series on Ecclesiastes. There was a sense of it not fulfilling its true purpose and meaning in this time. And how did that happen? That happened in the garden with the first people, Adam and Eve, 
who disregarded God and went their own way in the hope to fulfill their desires and their longing. And yet in doing so, sin entered the world and corrupted not just all people, but all of creation. The creation was subjected to futility, verse 20, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because of him who subjected it in hope. You see, God ordained for it to be subjected, but the result of that ought to be a hoping for and a longing for what is to come, which we've already established is glory. Yeah? Verse 18. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. Now, who is that we ourselves? Is that just humanity? It's not just humanity. It's even speaking of us as Christians who know the Lord. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so fundamentally this is telling us, you know what? It's not strange that we experience frustration and disappointment. Accept that reality that this is part of the journey here and now and yet there is something greater to look forward to and so we live in the hope of that and if we can accept that actually the kingdom of heaven is now you put your faith in Jesus Jesus came declaring the kingdom Mark tells us the kingdom of God is at hand. It's within your reach. It's within your grasp. It is accessible to you. It is here now. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom is here now, but it's also not yet. Because we don't have the fullness of all that has been promised here and now. And this is telling us that we won't have the fullness of all that has been promised here and now. You're not going to get, you're not going to, I have this saying, we don't get heaven till we get there. Right now we have a foretaste of glory divine. But we don't get heaven till we get there. So stop expecting it now. And I feel that we are victim to the the health and wealth and prosperity preachers that are out there declaring kingdom now and it's all now and it's all yours now. The riches of the kingdom, the health of the kingdom, the wealth of the kingdom, the prosperity of the kingdom, it's all yours now. And it just breeds discontentment in our heart when we don't see the healing that we're praying for or we don't see the success that we're praying for and we just become so self-focused, so um, self-seeking that we can't even see God in the midst we can't see God in what we're going through. Because the only way we think that God shows up is with an abundance of blessings. And that is the mark of God's presence. That is the mark of God's kingdom in our lives. The Apostle Paul told us, look, the kingdom of God is not material things. It's not meat. It's not drink. It's not dining in the finest restaurants caviar and whatever else they eat in them places and, and drinking the finest the finest drinks the mo what's the, they, they um have the, the um the, the, the I don't even know if it's champagne I don't even know what kind of drink it is but then they have them kind of gauged by the size of the bottles and they, they got a bottle they call the Methuselah 
the Jeroboam. And, and this isn't just any ordinary champagne. This is a champagne that takes two men to carry it. And if, you, and if you've ordered a Methuselah, three grand a bottle, 300,000. Are you serious, bro? Then everybody knows that you're, you're, you're living in the kingdom, right? <laughs> but the kingdom of God is not material things. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. Things that money can't buy. And so we're looking for our circumstances to be resolved and our challenges to be eradicated. And when we don't get things our way, then we get disillusioned. We get disappointed. Misplaced expectations. And so we're to expect adversity. We're to expect dissatisfaction. In Genesis 32, we see uh, an interesting scenario. We meet Jacob. And in verse 22, to the end of the chapter, he wrestles with God. And Jacob has been through some ups and downs. Jacob is someone who, earlier on in the story, chapter 28, he, he's blessed by his father, Isaac. And he receives the blessing of the, the firstborn, which should have been due to his brother Esau. And he basically swindled his dad and his brother in order to get the blessing, but he received the blessing, and undoubtedly it was according to God's sovereign ordination. The means wasn't right, but the end was the end that God intended. And so he receives blessing, and in that same chapter, as he's fleeing from Esau, he lays down to sleep and he meets with the Lord as in a vision. And the Lord blesses him. And yet in the following chapters, he goes to his uncle Laban and he, he wants to marry the love of his life, Rachel, and he gets swindled into marrying Leah, her sister. And yet he persists and he get, ultimately gets the love of his life, Rachel, and, he, and he's married to the both of them. And so, result. And yet, next thing you know, she can't bear children. And she's barren. And she's blaming him. <laughs> and my mom's like, am I God? That I can change these things. And so we see the, the distress. And so the point at which we meet him now, his brother Esau has been brewing with anger and resentment and bitterness towards his brother Jacob. And Jacob knows this. And Jacob knows that Esau is nearby. Esau is caught up with him. And in his mind, this is a watershed moment. This is a do or die moment. He thinks that Esau is coming to kill him. And so my man starts sending gifts. One, he sends servants out, one after the other, one after the other. You go, take these gifts. Meet Esau on the way. Tell him that his servant, Jacob, like he's begging for his life now. Understand this. His servant, Jacob. And then he sends another one. You take these gifts and you meet him on the way. Don't let him reach. Meet him on the way and give him these gifts. And tell him his servant, Jacob. And then he, and he sends them out. And night comes. And as he's there in the night, The scripture says that in verse 24 of Genesis 32, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail or overcome Jacob, 
he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, the man said to Jacob, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Remember that big tune? Anywhere you bless me, Terry Garman, actually a classic. I know, I know Carl knows about them tunes there. Carl's shaking his head. Can't lie in the house of the Lord, bro. <laughs> Anywhere you bless me, Lord, it's fine. I really don't mind. Oi. And this was Jacob. This is where the song comes from. Jacob's like, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And so, the man said to him, verse 27, what is your name? He said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, which means face of God. For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So Jacob, in this place where he was fearing for his life, he might not see the end of the next day. He meets with God. And this isn't the first time he met with God. This isn't the first time he encountered God. And yet, after this encounter, we see that Jacob was left with a limp. And he walked away from meeting with God, limping. Even though he was blessed. And in many ways, we see that Jacob's physical demeanor as he left that encounter was a reflection of his inward demeanor. It was a reflection of his heart. And like Jacob, we meet with God, but it doesn't mean that we don't walk with a limp. And that limp may be different things. That limp may be an unfulfilling marriage. That limp may be an unfulfilling job. Academic struggles. Financial hardship. That limp can come in all different ways. And that limp is designed to constantly remind us of that moment when we met with God. And were received by him. Jacob was like, I'm not going to let you go. The man's let me go. Un unhand me, as they would say. Jacob's, no. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And you and I know what it's like to wrestle with God, right? To wrestle with God over those real challenges in our lives. You and I know what it's like. And you can even find yourself in a place where you come to a sense of peace. You come to a sense of, well, I feel like God's heard me. I feel like God's received me. I, I'm, I'm at peace with God. And yet you walk away from that encounter. And rather than things being all perfect and rosy now, <laughs> you still experience hardship. It's not strange. It's not strange. You see, we should expect to limp in this life, even having met with God. We're not going to have everything that we desire now. As it said in Romans chapter 8, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. 
and once defined hope as being the patient expectation of what we know to be true. See, people in the world use hope differently. Um, do you think that you're going to win the lottery? Well, I hope so. And it's kind of wishful thinking. Well, it might happen, it might not. I re I'd be really happy if it does happen. But hope in the life of those who know God is not just a matter of wishful thinking. When we are confidently expecting what God has said, we can wait for it patiently, knowing that it will come to pass. And so this is a hope with confidence. This is a hope of substance. Do you have hope today? Do you have hope in your situation? Do you have hope in your circumstance? Do you have hope in your trial? Let us not allow Satan to rob us of hope for lack of patience. For lack of expectation. The microwave culture in which we live doesn't want to save for things like we were encouraged back in the day. I remember when I was young and I wanted to get a digital watch. <laughs> it was just a digital watch. There was like no apps. <laughs> it was just a Casio with stopwatch. A timer. No, it didn't even have a calculator, bruv. It was not that deep. It was just a Casio digital watch. And I remember thinking, well, if I want to get this Casio digital watch, I've got to save my money. And I was doing a little paper round. And so I used to um, take my money, and the money that I was saving, I would put it on top of the, um, uh, what would I call it? It, it, it was a cabinet. That's what, that's what we used to call it in our house, a cabinet. It was basically just like a, a tall display display cabinet. Um, you know those ones that still got the plastic on it? <laughs> Bought this cabinet 20 years ago, still got the plastic on it, you know, the, the shrink wrap. <laughs> and I used to hide my money on the top of that. And every now and then I'd go and check on it. And then I kind of got a bit bored of waiting and began to eat it out bit by bit until there was none left. But the, the idea was you save for what you desire. Now, slap it on the credit card. Yeah, rather than save and gain interest on the money that you save, we spend on credit and pay interest on money we don't have. Which one makes more sense? To save or to spend on credit? To gain interest or to pay someone else the interest that you should have been gaining. But we don't think about things in those terms anymore. Because the whole notion of delayed gratification is a myth. Nobody's trying to wait for anything. I mean, if you order from Amazon and it don't come the next day, you're vexed. <laughs> they don't, you don't want to hear anything about strike. You don't want to hear anything about... Christmas rush. You, as far as you're concerned, why can't they deliver on Christmas Day? I mean, I know I left it late to order my gift, but come on, man. What kind of service is this? And that's, and that's where we find ourselves. Listen, I heard, I heard the advert. I thought, that, I thought these, these people have taken it to another level. Not only are they doing same day, they're doing same day at a time that suits you. No, no more slot. Delivery slot. Well, it might come between 10 and 5 if you're lucky. This is the culture that we're in. But bear in mind and be very mindful of how it wages war in our souls. And how it distorts our expectations. Because we then begin to impose those expectations on God. And, you know... We pray, and we don't see an answer by the end of the week. We're vexed. Okay, I'm not going to church. What's the point? I mean, God don't answer prayer anyway, right? 
Oh, you've you really been, you know, wrestling with the Lord over this. How long's it been? Uh, a week. And so in that, we have to understand that actually there are things that will not be answered even in this life. But they will be answered in the life to come. We don't get heaven until we get there. Now, some have allowed these failed expectations to even affect their view of their walk with God, their walk with the people of God, with church, and even their view of God himself. And this is where it can be most detrimental. And for us as leaders, our consideration and our um, first thought is, spiritually, how do these things impact us? Spiritually, how do we grow? How do we embrace this sense of rightly managed expectations in such a way that it helps us to to wait well, to be patient, to be enduring, to even be joyful in our waiting. There are a number of false expectations that can cause us to be destabilized in our relationship with God, destabilized in our relationship with his people, in such a way that hinders us, not just in the Lord, but in life. I want to give you briefly seven false expectations that I think are very necessary for us to address in our own hearts. First false expectation, that you won't experience church hurts. That church hurts are not meant to happen. That's a false expectation that we need to manage. Because the reality is that the church is the people when the people are just like you, sinful. And that's from head to toe. From leadership to every aspect of church life. Everyone is just like you. And the reality is that we don't expect people to be perfect but subconsciously we expect them to be like us you see we have grace for our own faults we tend to be a little bit more able to extend grace to others who may have weaknesses where we have weaknesses so if I have a weakness for timekeeping I might be a little more gracious to someone who has an issue with timekeeping if someone's irresponsible, they might have uh, a little more grace towards someone. They might have. <laughs> the reality is that we're actually so sinful that we will, like the, 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 the parable in Matthew 18 of the servant who was forgiven, let's say, millions in debt, and yet he grabbed the throat of his own servant who owed him a few hundreds. We can be even intolerant of those who have weaknesses like our own. Such is the level of our self-exaltation. That just basically means bigging up ourselves in our own hearts. And woe unto those who have weaknesses in the areas of our own strengths. We've got zero tolerance, tolerance to, towards those people. You see, you may be a very committed individual and have zero tolerance towards half-heartedness. You may be someone who's very servant-hearted and you can't take those people who are selfish. You might be a very practical person and you don't really have time for those people in the church who are wanting to talk about the Bible all the time. 
and, and theological things. That's long. What are you doing? You may be a very organized person. There's no doubt that this, this, this culture in which we live can tend to make people very OCD. Hyper-organized. And any level of disorganization, flames and fire. <laughs> can't tolerate it, can't take it. And basically we're saying we don't expect others to be like that. Not recognizing that we stand within that term called others. We're just like everyone else. But even apart from that, we don't expect others to be. Why would we not expect others to be like that? Why would we not expect others to frustrate us and to grate us and to displease us? Furthermore, no one died and left you, Lord. Jesus rose again. He's on the throne. There's no vacancies there. So nobody's got to please you anyway. Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Humility precedes the rest. Gentleness, patience, forbearing one another, first comes from a place of humility when we recognize that actually I'm not the one who is, who's Lord. I'm not the one who's to be served or to be pleased or to be satisfied. I'm not to expect that other people won't hurt me. It's part of the limp. False expectation number two, that pastors are meant to provide your complete spiritual fulfillment. It's the pastor's job to feed you unto complete satisfaction, to provide all of your spiritual needs. And very often it's taken from a kind of point of view of the relationship between a guru and his master. I'm not really interested in community. I'm not interested in organized gatherings. I just want to have personal time with the pastor. That's a false expectation. If you are not expecting to connect with God's ordained means through which life and nourishment flows, then you're going to experience frustration and a lack of fulfillment. Hebrews 10, 24, 25, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Or, or does that say, and let us consider how the pastors are to stir up the body to love and good works. No. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. There's no doubt that in this day and age, people, even as Christians, are abandoning the value and importance of the local gathering of believers. Abandoning that, throwing that out. Well, I'm part of the universal church. I don't need to gather with the local church. You know, I've got other things, other priorities. I've got other things that are more important. Gathering together, ah, well, take it or leave it, if I can fit it in. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. False expectation number three, that you can grow and change as an individual without committing time to engaging with the Bible with your whole heart. This notion that you're going to experience life fulfillment, that you're going to experience spiritual fulfillment and be somebody who's not going to actually be in the Bible. 
that maybe even just hearing sermons, if you even do that, listening to worship songs, if you even do that, without engaging in a committed fashion with the Bible, you're going to experience frustration in your walk with God and your relationship with others. There are so many who feel like, as Christians, as someone who's given your life to the Lord, your life is kind of just what they call plateaued. Like a mountain climber who's trying to get to the top of the mountain and they reach a ledge and they're just on that ledge and they don't seem to be going any further. And you just feel like you've plateaued. You're just there on this ledge and you're not really going anywhere. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. You're driving a car and you take your foot off the accelerator. You begin to slow down. There's no doubt that you will actually come to a stop. Even if you take your foot off the accelerator, coasting downhill. You know those days when you're just trying to save fuel, right? <laughs> Try to get the, 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 every last drop out of your money's worth. But we all know you, you can only coast for so far. You get to the bottom of that hill, not only does it level out, but it's going to start to get steeper at some point or another. And if you don't apply energy, you will start to go backwards. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't take your foot off the gas. But be transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind. So there's some mind work involved here. There's some applying ourselves to the content of Scripture. Just seeing Instagram quotes, inspirational statements, isn't sufficient for your spiritual well-being, however great they sound. It's not enough. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. False expectation four. You will grow to be more like Jesus without regularly serving. It's a myth. When Jesus called the 12 disciples, what kind of scenario did he call them to? I know. He called them to the school of Christianity. And each day, they went into class with their, what would they have had, papyrus, and their um, quills, ready to take notes, to listen to Jesus speak, and then go home afterwards. That was the experience of training that the disciples had, right? No, thank you, Tim. Of course not. It was on-the-job training. It was, come on, let's go. Let's do this together. And as they were on mission together, serving together, they were then instructed and enlightened and inspired and infused and guided. When I was learning to drive, I don't know if they talk about it now these days, but when I was learning to drive, I, um, my drive instructor instructor. He was a, a fire services instructor. So he was a very advanced driver um, and very advanced instructor. And he always said, look, no dry steering. Now he didn't mean dry as in rubbish. Your steering is dry. You need more control. No, he was saying, you don't turn the wheel while the car is stationary. 
It's easier to steer a moving vehicle, however slowly it's moving. And so it's a myth, it's a misnomer, it's a false expectation that you are going to experience spiritual fulfillment, that you are going to grow to be more like Jesus without regularly serving. Romans 12, 10, 11. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slowful or lazy in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of people don't really commit themselves to serving because they feel like these people don't deserve me doing them any favors. And you've got that wrong already because no one's asking you to serve us. We're all here serving the Lord together. And so serve the Lord as you serve his people and with his people. Blessed and encouraged last night. Brother Tim shared a song and encouraged our hearts. He, he, he brought his offering to the Lord and said, Lord, this is what I have to offer to, to, to serve you and to encourage your people. Yet again today, shared with us. The body nourishing, strengthening each other. False expectation number five, you will be fulfilled in Christ without sharing the gospel with others. I am absolutely convinced to the core of my soul that one of the reasons that so many Christians are experiencing such discontentment and dissatisfaction in our walks is because we don't share the gospel. That sharing the gospel, evangelism is the great adventure of the Christian faith. Some of you won't be familiar with Sister Angela, but you'll remember me talking about Sister Angela back in the day. Sister, you see this, this our friend Sister Angela. She's always having adventures in the Lord. Adventures in the Lord. Like, you know, Tintin. Adventures in... Non-stop sharing the gospel and you're just like... You speak to people who are sharing Jesus with people and, and just offering to pray with people and seeking to encourage others. And listen to how interesting, even if not exciting, their life sounds. But the reality is that when we're not outward looking, we're inward looking. When we're not other people focused, we're self-focused, we're self-centered. And that's where the real dissatisfaction comes. That's where the real discontentment comes. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15, it says, as part of um, identifying the armor of God, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And so it's talking about the gospel being like shoes on the feet of the believer. And those shoes denote stability and progress. I had to have a foot operation early last year. I'm probably going to have to have another one at some point this year on my other foot. As you can see, it's catching. My wife is <laughs> wearing this. It's because we just step on each other's toes in our house. That's all it is. But the reality is that when your feet are not functional, you cannot make ready progress. If you are not bearing, wearing the gospel as you go, it's going to impede your progress as a believer and you're going to feel stagnant. And I challenge you this year, make a commitment to personal evangelism. And even if you feel lacking in that area, make a, a commitment to corporate evangelism. You may find it hard to do it on your own. Come out on a Saturday when we go out and you can just pass out tracks. You don't even necessarily have to speak to anyone. And then tell me how you feel after that. telling you it's the most life invigorating experience false expectation number six one more after this career family money status or approval will fulfill you so often people prioritize these other things and they're not necessarily wrong in and of themselves so let's not go to the other extreme. But these are not priorities for life. Having a successful career, 
having a flourishing family, having lots of money, having status and power or the approval of, it could be even just the approval of our parents. None of these things will fulfill. As we said in Romans 8, 8, Romans 8. In the hope of glory, we are saved. Hope that is seen is not hope. There's nothing in this life that is going to fulfill us to the point where we no longer need to hope for glory. It's a myth, it's a lie, and it's a deception. These things will not fulfill. The final one, and I could have had a whole list, but the final one for today. The false expectation that you can do anything apart from the grace of God. You see, this isn't a a message to kind of whip you into shape for the new year, to challenge you, get you on your toes, rock you with a few spiritual blows and say, come on, let's go, let's do this. And to try and galvanize your willpower and your focus and your, your mental effort and your practical commitment to make these changes. Actually, nothing's going to happen apart from grace. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. He it is that bears much fruit. That person who, who lives, who resides in Jesus. For apart from me, you can do nothing. There's nothing that we can do of eternal value apart from Jesus. And there's nothing that is worth anything that is not of eternal value. There's nothing that we can do of eternal value apart from Jesus. And there is nothing of value if it is not of eternal value. Everything we do can be of eternal value, but we can only do these things through the grace of God. You see, when Christ died on the cross, he didn't just end the story with our forgiveness, but he rose from the dead. And the scripture speaks of the fact that the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead now dwells in us. And there's an associated myth, misnomer, when it comes to actually abiding in Christ and experiencing his grace Some people have this kind of notion that, okay, that means, therefore, if I can't do it myself, I'm not meant to try. Don't bother try. Just let go and let God. And something will happen. But that's not true. What we see is Jesus, personally and by his spirit through his word, has communicated the means, the ways, the how that he works through us. Some people call these the means of grace, the means through which we experience God's grace in our life, which include prayer, which include praising God, praising God, Opening our mouths and singing praise and declaring his goodness is a means by which God's grace works in us. You ask anyone that was here last night. You ask the praise team how much grace we experience when we give ourselves to opening our mouth and declaring God's praise. Christmas Eve, there was maybe five people here. There was more people on the stage. But we did a business. We smashed it. We had an amazing time. There was a sense of God's grace at work in us, infusing us even as we gave ourselves to praising him. It's a means of grace, a means by which strength is imparted to your life from God. The preached word is a means of grace. I've already talked about the fact that people take that for granted and neglect it. The personalized word of us being in the scriptures, taking our time and just reading through the Bible. 
We may not understand everything, just like you may not know the ingredients of every meal that you eat. But at the end of the day, it's still working in your body to sustain and nourish you in ways you don't understand. Fellowship with the people of God, a means by which grace is imparted to us. And so let us lay aside false expectations and give ourselves to God, to his word, and to the expectation that even though we may not be fulfilled in every way in 2017, that's not strange. You will experience disappointment. You will experience unanswered prayer. You will experience disillusionment, dejection. You will experience all of these things in 2017. All the hype, crossover into new territory. It's, it's your year, year of jubilee. No, no lack shall come. No lack shall come to you, like for the whole of 2017. That means you're not even going to lack understanding. <laughs> it's hype. It's not biblical. It's not chronologically correct. There will be a time in heaven when there will be no lack, even of understanding. The Bible says that, and we will know God just as we are known. That's how we will know the Lord in those times. So there will be no lack then, and there will be no, no lack of wealth or healing. Or, there will be no lack. And that is something to look forward to. That is something to focus on and patiently walk towards as we walk with Jesus. Amen? And if we adjust our expectations... If we appreciate the fact that, you know what, we don't get heaven till we get there. As we press on, Christian soldiers, 2017 won't have to diss us. Truly, we'll be future-proof in our faith. Not so easily tossed, box left and right. Not so easily cast down, because we understand that. Hardship, suffering, as we saw in Romans 8.18, is par for the course. I'm going to invite the team to come back. As we give thanks to our great God, who is greater than it all. Because there's nothing that we go through. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Not worth comparing. And so let us keep our eyes on the prize. It was Jesus himself. Let's stand as I pray. Father God, we give you glory and praise, glory and honor, thanksgiving for the great hope that you've given us in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that this hope is available to all who would believe in your Son, who would put their trust in Jesus, to all who would keep their focus on him, Forgive us, Lord, for setting this hope aside so often, expecting immediate fulfillment of our wishes and desires, expecting immediate gratification. Forgive us, Lord. Help us to be mature believers, not babies. Don't get our way when I throw our toys out the pram, have a tantrum. Help us to be mature strong and that in faith 
And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to you. We thank you for this year. We thank you for last year, Lord, and for the way in which you even worked through the trials and the suffering and the challenges to strengthen us, to make us more like Christ. And may, Lord, we prioritize you and the means through which you work. Those things that you've called us to as kingdom principles, as kingdom priorities, as kingdom people who are your people set apart for your name, for your glory. Help us to grow up, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.